This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Driven to right field. Rosario lifts one up and gone a home run. Rosario's first of the year and it's two to nothing. That's right. That was a deep drive by Eddie Rosario. You can get a deep drive on a 2020 RAV4 from Luther Brookdale Toyota. 694 in Brooklyn Boulevard. Just $249 a month on a lease right now for those brand new RAV4s. I've been driving a 2019 RAV4 for the past year and change, and I love everything about it. I, it's the first time I've driven anything other than like a Camry or a Corolla. It's the first SUV I've driven on a daily basis. I love the gas mileage. I love the technology. I love that my car basically turns my smartphone into uh, the speakers of the car, and uh, and I love the safety features too. So if you're looking to get into something for these remaining summer months that gives you spaciousness for road trips and great gas mileage, that 2020 RAV4 at Luther Brookdale Toyota is the is the way to go. Two forty nine a month or one point nine percent financing for sixty months. Set yourself up in a great new ride from my friends on the corner of six ninety four Brooklyn Boulevard, Luther Brookdale Toyota.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. You know, I don't take it lightly. This is a very good team. And, uh, you know, defensively, we showed that tonight. Obviously, everybody knows about the offensive power that we have and, and how dynamic that lineup can be. Um, but now you've seen it from, from all aspects. The bullpen, starting pitching, the lineup and defense. So it's, it's pretty impressive. Rich Hill, gentlemen. We're going to scoop with Doogie on this episode. And we're going to break down a Twins game like it's a football game. Football. Damn right. Starting with the guy coming off of kind of like a modified Tommy John surgery. He's 40 years old. Primary repair surgery is what they call it. Primary repair surgery? Of his UCL, which ordinarily just requires full-fledged Tommy John, uh, which he did have a couple years back. What is the difference between, if, if, if your UCL is partially torn or strained in some way, sure. what is the difference between a full-on Tommy John surgery and, what did, what did we call this? A primary repair. Primary repair. That's the term. Uh, I'm not a doctor, but do you know how when, when you got a car and it's on its last legs? Yes. And, um, <laughs> and, last and you don't expect said car to last a long time, but you just want to get that sucker through, let's say, the next four months. During that time, you can then save up to put your deposit down or your payoff, start to save to pay off the new car, okay? I foresee, I think primary repair is that. I think it's, we're going to get the car through four months. 
It's not going to last a long time. But we'll, it's going to survive. It's going to get us to where we need to go. And damn it, the car's a professional car. It knows what it's doing. It gets out the there on that road. A, the car's got a hell of a hook. Exactly right. <laughs> the car is a smart car. Not really a smart car, but it, it's a wise car. It can get you through, okay? I think primary I the, repair the car is, is the that. Car, the car might not be the most durable, but it's underrated. In fact, yeah. Yeah. if you went and you like the car too. on a per-mile basis, it's one of the top six or seven cars probably in the league of cars. And the car served you for quite a while. Yeah, that, that is what I think primary repair surgery is. Yeah, uh, and Rich Hill took advantage of the primary <laughs> repair surgery. Five innings in his Twins debut, three base runners allowed, no runs, two strikeouts. He was smooth sailing, only sixty-eight pitches through those five innings. And then Rocco Baldelli said, "Listen, we could probably stretch you out to eighty pitches, but we've got one of the best bullpens in baseball too because we're going to win the World Series this year." And uh, Tyler Duffy, did Rocco say that? Uh, no, but did I Rocco, said, I'm saying did Rocco flat out he say, yes. no, here's why, Rich, you're coming out, and by the way, we're going to win the World Series. Uh, Rich, uh, nice job. Um, Tyler Duffy's coming in because he's also going to have a World Series ring in a few months here. So Tyler Duffy comes in, Sergio Romo, Tyler Clippard, and Taylor Rogers combined for four innings, one hit, no walks, and seven strikeouts. Yes, sir. Putting down Paul Goldschmidt and company. Taylor Rogers came in. Like, that dude hasn't pitched... Yet this season, I'm kind of wondering, anymore. like, is he hurt? Good. That dude comes in and just casually blows everybody away, yes. and the Twins move to four and one on the season, the best record in baseball. Let's break down a baseball game like it's a football game here because football. it's a sixty game season. <laughs> Judd Zolgad, what's your what's your first observation? Rich Hill, <laughs> a craftsman, an absolute bleeping craftsman. Think about this, you covered, Phil, a team that was called the Fun Bunch, right? Yeah. yeah. Valencia and a young ploof. You know, Trevor now is a wise baseball mind, but at that time, a young ploof, Luke Hughes, who couldn't stand our guy Royce. Okay. Anthony Swarzak. Think about the juxtaposition to the group that you covered. Oh, my God. Versus, versus what we are, and I do not use the word craftsman as a smart ass. okay? I'm totally serious about this. Yeah, he's... he's He's awesome. When you're 40. Rich Hill, did, did you guys see the Rich Hill postgame quote about going about his craft and how much he loves the thought process of pitching? He is, I have dubbed him the professor of pitching. He is a professor of pitching. Like, he's breaking down things. He he is a fourth-level pitcher. Like, he's thinking on things that we wouldn't think about. But anyway, back to the comparison. So the fun bunch versus this. Donaldson at third and at the plate, craftsman, like goes about his business every day, breaking down how he can improve and probably watches a ton of film and like is as serious and diligent at his craft as possible. All right. Rich Hill, 40, craftsman. Don't forget that the Twins won the game on Sunday in Chicago in large part because of a 40-year-old DH. Like a combined guys, two who are 80 years old. In the last three days. I, J- Josh Donaldson, Nelson, because I'm putting, Donaldson's off to a slow start, but between Josh fine, Donaldson, yeah. Nelson Cruz, and Rich Hill, and that doesn't count like the five, there's a five other craftsmen. Don't forget Marwin. Marwin Gonzalez. Marwin. Well, he's Don't, a craftsman, but. It, well, all right, he he did cheat, but look. He's getting on base. He has been, since the day he walked into target field, Marwin Gonzalez has been nothing but professional. He is as professional. You can put that that he's, guy. He's keeping a low profile. Is what well, he's doing. sure he is, but he, you can put him. You can start him <laughs> last night 
Kepler's out, starts in, in right. Yeah. Late game defensive replacement at first base. So here's the beauty of Rich Hill's craftsmanship, okay, in, in statistical form. So you know that my secondary team in my life, because I have my, my half of my family, my dad's side of the family is from the Chicago area, and so I grew up, like a lot of people, watching the Cubs on WGN and going to some Cubs games as a kid. So the Cubs have always, like the Twins have always been my A team, and the Cubs have always been kind of been my my B team. So Rich Hill was a hot young shot Cubs prospect in the early two thousands. Yeah, uh, he came along. He was in the wave after Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood. He came up in 2005. It, he was like the, it was him and Carlos Zambrano were like the next wave of Cubs pitching prospects. And he came up and he was really really good for a couple of years. He uh he ran into some injury issues and then some ineffectiveness, but but he's always been he was always kind of a 90 mile an hour guy, not like a 9500 mile an hour guy, but he always right. had good strikeout totals. Right. Uh but he was always a fastball first guy. In fact, so Fangraphs tracks this in 2006, his first full year in the major leagues, he threw 70% fastballs. Mm-hmm. So he was just pumping fastballs as a young player in the major leagues. Now he's down to 50% fastballs. He throws. He basically threw. Well, he threw two pitches last night. He throws a fastball and a curveball, mm-hmm. oh, and he throws 50% curveballs now. Mm-hmm. And he gets strikeouts. You think when you think lefties who throw breaking balls, you think like Ron Mayhay. Remember that guy oh. that, from nine years ago? Yeah. You oh, think yeah. about these guys that come in. Um, who was the other guy? Dennis Reyes, right? These lefties who are old and oh, I throw love Dennis 90s, Reyes, man. Yeah, Dennis and they've got a big hook. Matchup guy, yeah. And those guys come in. They're almost always relievers for one. And they're almost always guys that you can only trust for, like, the left-handed batters and maybe, like, the second baseman, number eight hitter, right-handed batter. Yep. Rich Hill throws half curveballs as a lefty facing mostly righties and has one of the top strikeout rates of any starting pitcher in baseball the last five years. Mm-hmm. That is master of your craft. Yes, he is. He's he is super fun to watch. The pitching professor. The swings he gets, like Paul Goldschmidt is one of the best he, hitters in baseball and can't figure out that He curveball. mixed in an EFIS pitch last night. Yep. <laughs> he just mixed in an EFIS pitch. And he's not, but but it's not a BS, I'm trying to be funny. He is actually. part of his repertoire. Yes, yeah. yes. This is, this is, um, Rich Hill is teaching a class on pitching. And again, here's my hope. So you, you got Donaldson, you got Cruz, you got Hill now, Gonzalez now. Do you know if if the younger players, and in Hill's case, the pitchers, apply themselves to watching him, how much can be learned here? Like you can, if you want to, you can actively right now, if you're young, potentially extend your career by taking notes on how these guys go about what they do. Yeah, Sergio Romo is another guy that, you know, you, you think, okay, the guy's only throwing like, his fastball's like barely Jamie Moyer speed. Mm-hmm. And he's just throwing the same slider over and over and over again. And he's five or six years past being the back-end guy as a closer. And guys can't figure out how to hit that pitch. Like, he throws the same pitch over and over again. And he's been throwing it for 10 years. And guys still can't figure it out. He's the uh, he's like he's like Diet Mariana Rivera. Rivera threw the cutter. Romo throws the big slider. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these guys, like I, I, I like where you're going with this. Masters of their craft. It's there are a bunch of pros in this yes. lineup and bullpen and rotation, and uh, and it's very much working early on for the Twins. Okay, sound the alarm though. Oh boy, it's baseball's football. We have to do this. 
All right, we we, fo- we found out post game from Rich Hill himself last night why he did not start uh, game two in Chicago and why it took until Wednesday night for him to start. And no, it was not just the Twins being a little bit cautious. That was part of it. But Rich Hill said, this is the bad news. He had, quote, a little inflammation in his pitching shoulder that needed to be addressed. But the good news is, the flip side is, he said it had nothing to do with the primary repair UCL surgery that we discussed. And he said the The good news is it's a separate injury altogether. (laughs) But yes, it's a separate problem. I I love the excuse. Don't worry. Like, I know my elbow is blown out three times. It's my shoulder. Don't worry. So here's the question, though. This is an honest-to-God point and question here. I would say if the Twins were 4-1 and and this was April 1st, okay, that we would be saying... Rich Hill, that looked really good. He ain't getting through. If he could have pitched, which he couldn't have, but let's say he could have pitched on on March thirtieth. Yeah, we would be we'd be on the show right now saying he ain't getting through one sixty two. Yeah, like they, it's they, not they, going to yeah. be possible. They would just do a precautionary DL at, at the very least. But think about this, boys. In the case of a guy like Hill, but it probably applies to Cruz to a certain extent as well. This is not just a race to the playoffs and to try and get through the playoffs. This is a race for old guys to stay healthy. Like, can you get Rich Hill through through the regular rotation starts in a 60-game season plus playoffs? Can you get him through? And it might be hanging by a thread, baby, yeah. but you get him through. You also, like, the, the, the window of time where you would be able to put a guy on the disabled list, or I keep calling it the disabled list, it's the injury list now. Disabled list is is out the door. Old habits it, is, uh, it is no longer appropriate to say that. So the injured list... Mm-hmm. And I think the problem with this season is like if you're let's say a guy's feeling some discomfort, but he but but it's it's not like, oh my god, my arm is gonna fall off discomfort. It's it's a little achy. I've pitched through stuff like this before. Pitchers are constantly evaluating every morning when they wake up. Am I just kind of sore because I'm doing something a hundred times that my arm was not built to do, or is it something more serious? Um and so like if you're playing a one hundred and sixty two game season and Rich Hill has a little bit of discomfort. Okay, let's run him out there a couple times and see what happens. But if it's if it's anything at all that lingers beyond a start or two, or it, or it messes with his effectiveness, you would just put him on the DL and say, "Whatever, dude. All right." Or the IL. Um, let, let's we'll sit you down for right. a month. We'll bring you back in June or July, and then you'll be fine for the stretch run because our team is loaded. Mm-hmm. You don't really have time to do that now because let's let's say you get three or four starts in, and it takes you into the middle of August or toward the end of August, and then you put him on the fifteen day injury list or the ten day injury list or whatever. Well, then he's got to ramp back up at some point. It's not just put him on the injury list and then fire him back up. It's probably a two or three week thing with a forty year old pitcher. So I guess what I'm saying is if they think at all that he's gonna need extra time with an inflamed shoulder, I l him now. You're off to a four and one start. Put him on the IL literally right now. If you, if 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 you're borderline at all on him, so that he can be ready for August, September, and or I should say September and October. So I'm actually I'm not panicking with Judd here. I'm not panicking. I'm telling you the, in, the, football, the football thing is to tell you what the injury report says. Okay. Okay. I'm cool. You're not panicking. I'm, I'm totally fine. Here's the here's my question, Phil. That's going to run counter to the point that you just made. Do you think? That Homer Bailey is going to be legitimate as can possibly be for him no. for the sixty game for the sixty games, no. not beyond that. And here's the other question that I have with Bailey and his ability and Hill and his health. Can I get one of them to Pineda? If I can get you to Pineda, 
my options. I've got depth. I've got some depth, and I've got Pineda coming back in. And I think to our conversation yesterday, I think it's something like 37 games or 36 games or something like that from the outset of the season. But my question becomes, can I get one of those guys to Pineda before I have to make that switch? I mean, if we're we're purely sizing up a three-game series in the first round against whoever it may be. Yes, sir. Keep in mind, in baseball, if you're seeding teams one through eight in the American League, you're gonna, you're going to face a 500 or slightly below 500 team, which 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 could be the Yankees. Like anything can happen in 60 games. You could have you get off to a slow start or something, but any team can beat anybody in a three game series. If you go back, yes. go go up and down any season, you'll see crappy teams like the Pirates beating the Astros in interleague two out of three because that's what happens in baseball. So in those three games, I I need my three best starting pitchers. And so, again, if you need to put Rich Hill on the injury list at some point, do it early so that he has a better chance to be ready for those October games because I want my three pitchers, if everyone's at full strength, I want my three pitchers in that series to be Barrios, Rich Hill, and Jake Odorizzi with Kenta Maeda and, and Michael Pineda ready to come in as, like, the handcuffs. Or, oh, man, Barrios is he's having one of his classic Brios meltdowns in the second inning. Cool. Now Michael Pineda comes in. Mm-hmm. But I want the three starting pitchers to be Barrios, Odorizzi, and Rich Hill to start those games. Those are your three best guys when everyone is fully healthy. Can you get the Pinto that far? That becomes a question. Can the Pinto get that far? With Rich Hill? Yeah. <laughs> it should I be able to. I love the Pinto. To. It's a great car, professional car, fantastic car. Can you get it that far? The good news is in terms of how far can the Pinto drive. Just last year for Rich Hill, all right? Now, I think this was broken up over a couple stretches, but the Pinto gave you 13 starts in 2019. Gave you 13 starts, not including postseason, because he made a couple postseason appearances too. 58 and two-thirds innings. And and he was great. Like, he had a he had a two-and-a-half ERA. He struck out 11 batters per nine. Mm-hmm. That's all we're asking for. We don't need a full gas tank. Right. We don't, no, we're, not, we're not talking about a cross-country road trip here. No, okay. Hell no. We're just going to Eau Claire. Yeah. We're just going we're to Eau Claire. We're not going that far. Right. <laughs> Hudson. We're already to Hudson. Yeah. We're going we're going on, on a beer we're going on a beer run. <laughs> beer buster baby. To Hudson. And the question is, can we just get there and back? And that's we just, all we want. We just need the spotted cow. We just yes, need the spotted cow. A little bit of off sale. A little bit of off sale. Love the spotted cow. All right, breaking down a twins game like it's I'm not a football done yet game. Too. Go ahead. I've got more. All right. The bullpen. Two consecutive games. All right. Clippard, Stashik, May, Romo on Tuesday. Duffy, Romo, Clippard, Rogers on Wednesday. Eight innings, one run, a tipped home run by Buxton, of course, off of uh, Trevor May. You had five strikeouts from the bullpen in their four innings of work on Tuesday. You had seven strikeouts last night. The bullpen, they deserve their due. Like, I know I know they didn't have the good game on Saturday, and I know that that was that was sort of a secondary bullpen, not these guys, but this primary bullpen, Phil Mackey, um, baseball is football, gets a lot of credit, and these guys are damn good. And and I think Tyler Duffy m- might be among the top ten all time Twins reclamation projects. Yes, he is. Like. This guy, we we were in Mankato at Vikings training camp for start one in Toronto. And I know it's a long time ago now, but uh, it was a disaster. It was a complete disaster, and you thought to yourself for quite a while after that, too, that Tyler Duffy, hey, look, it's not going to work here. They have found something, 
And, and unlike the Rich Hill car, the Tyler Duffy car has been taken from it was an okay car, not great, not not the worst car on the lot, but not that SOB now is a souped up speeding machine. Yes, and I, I think it's because we sit here and and you and I are constantly on social media and get emails and we interact with Twins fans and the biggest hang up I think and even like when we went through our preseason. Confidence, curiosity, concern. Even Declan raised a flag on the bullpen, speaking on behalf of, I think, a lot of Twins fans that are like, all right, Taylor Rogers, all right, I think we trust him now, but Romo's old and Clipper, like, that guy is fidgety and old. And I, But I think any negative perception or worried perception of the Twins' bullpen comes down to Tyler Duffy because we can't get out of our heads what happened in his first four years in the major leagues. He was a starting pitcher 2016, the year that you're talking about, and he gives up that grand slam to Jose Batista. And, oh. and like that is seared into people's minds that this guy, he threw that big curveball and then like couldn't, he had no other pitches to throw by hitters. Right. Um, and so we just, we watched Tyler Duffy get chance after chance after chance as a starter and a reliever for four years before Thad Levine and Derek Falvey came in with a brand new approach to pitching development and pitch repertoires. And if you look at Duffy now, since the beginning of last season. And this is why like I get that one season isn't the be all end all, but what he did last year and then what he did in that game last night or what he's done in his two outings so far, it's validation that he's a new guy. This dude has 87 strikeouts in 59 innings. That is not a fluke. If you were to tell me that like he has a really good ERA but it's mostly smoke and mirrors and he's getting grounders and stuff, I'd say let's wait for the other shoe to drop. Scott Diamond, right? That's great. You get a ground ball to shortstop every time. Okay, well, can you get a strikeout? Mm -hmm. Um, Strikeouts are not flukes. Strikeouts are you are imposing your will as a pitcher on the hitter, and they are unable to make contact with you. Yes. And so him having 87 strikeouts in 59 innings, and by the way, he doesn't walk anybody either. He is legitimate. He has turned a corner. And he's fixed. He is. He's fixed full time. He's. He might even be. This is hot take alert here. Oh, he uh, might even be. A, he might even be a better reliever than Taylor Rogers. Whoa. We've seen Taylor Rogers do it for longer, but he might be a better reliever. I'm just telling. Somebody you, pull the damn trigger. Than Taylor Rogers. All right. Oh. <laughs> it's stereo. We found a way to get stereo. Hot Take Cops is recorded on location with the men and women of Sports Talk. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in Hot Take Court. All right, sir, sir, can you please, can I see a license, registration, and your baseball reference page, please? (laughs) Pull out your baseball, slowly pull that out. I'm not resisting. I'm just saying. So, so let's let's go through it. So, I mean, he uh, he's he's damn good. I will give him that. So Taylor Rogers, you know, lefty Tyler Duffy, righty. It's, so they're a little bit apples to oranges. But but if you look at peripheral numbers and just pure dominance, they're both very dominant. Which is crazy to say because if you were to watch them four years ago, you would have said, Mike, these are the guys you bring in in a six run game in the seventh inning when you're just trying to give your other relievers a rest. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you start to look at the top relievers in baseball and the top strikeout rates, so Taylor Rogers since the beginning of last year is actually sixth in wins above replacement among relievers, and uh, Duffy's not super far behind. But but Tyler Duffy has one of the top 20 strikeout rates among relievers since the beginning of last season. 
Yeah, I buy that. I buy that. And actually, that includes, let me just real quick here. That includes a bunch of guys who really haven't, among guys who pitched at least 50 innings. Let's set that as a bar. Mm-hmm. So we don't have these guys who come in for like 10 innings. The best strikeout rates among relievers since the beginning of last year, number one is Liam Hendricks. You want to talk about reclamation projects. <laughs> Not their um, fault. Actually, Josh Hader's number one. And, and Tyler Duffy is 16th on that list. Wow. He's right there with Brad Hand, Araldis Chapman. He has the same strikeout cool. rate. Here it is. All right. He has the same strikeout rate the last year and a half mm-hmm. as Araldis Chapman. Think about yeah. that for a second. Yes. It's ridiculous. He blows hitters away. So. And how much of the success in both the case of Duffy and Taylor is based on on a willingness to adjust, adapt, and learn? Like, you think about what the Twins did, right? And they brought in this whole new staff and these pe- people with different ideas. But it also takes the player to adjust, adapt, and and want to learn. Think about the, especially pitching-wise, how many guys, this coaching staff and, and um, basically all, all the people that work for the Twins, think about all of the adjustments and changes that they've made to turn a guy like Duffy into this guy. Because there's, you know... If this is 1985 or so, there's a fighting chance he just flames out and is gone. Yeah, and, and I'm talking about gone from baseball. No, nobody gets him. Nobody fixes him. It's just too bad. Because in his case, Rogers' case, you're talking about a lot of guys and a lot of people who put a lot of work into saying if you do X, Y, and Z, it's going to make a difference. And, and then to the athletes' credit, they say, okay, yeah. I'll do it. Since we're getting really inside ball here and we're breaking down a baseball game like it's a football game. I've still got some more things, by the way. I do, too. I believe I believe it was... I love this segment now. It's great. I believe it was Sergio Romo. I think it was Romo. It was either Romo or Clipper. I think it was the Romo. Romo had the one strikeout. And I'm Derek Wetmore would have been able to explain this. Uh, by the way, he has a newsletter now. People wonder like what happened to some of the Score North guys. Matthew Collar, Purple Insider, podcast and newsletter. Derek Wetmore has a Five Thoughts newsletter. So go check those guys out. Mm-hmm. Um, Sergio Romo. So Derek would be able to explain this better than I could, but the twins believe and teach a concept called pitch tunneling, which is, I'm going to butcher this, but it's basically how do you make a pitch look like, how do you make a curveball or a breaking ball look like a fastball out of your hand more often or how, or vice versa, right? And it's a combination of, arm angle, and also I believe a combination of like literally where you're throwing the pitch. Like if you threw a breaking ball outer half or something, um, can you come back with the next pitch and make a different pitch look like the same pitch and fool the hitter, right? Mm-hmm. I may have butchered that explanation, but we someone who's nerdier than I am can Google pitch tunneling. Um, and I think we saw an example of this with Sergio Romo. He throws that slider three out of every four pitches basically, right? And the right-handed hitter it's a two-strike count. He's, he's thrown a couple sliders, and all of a sudden he, just th- he throws like an 87-mile-an-hour fastball right at the bottom edge of the zone mm-hmm. in a spot where he would ordinarily throw his breaking ball in a two-strike count, and the hitter froze. Didn't even pull the trigger. Like, and, and if the hitter swung, it was like an 87-mile-an-hour fastball to him looked like a 103-mile-an-hour fastball, and the ball was already in the catcher's glove. Like Little things like that to get extra strikeouts. Tyler Duffy... Look at the strikeout rates of Tyler Duffy, Taylor Rogers, and Trevor May in their careers after the Terry Ryan regime was out and when the Thad Levine, Derek Falvey regime came in. Sure. It's like these guys are like doubling their strikeout rates. It's nuts. So, anyways, what else you got, Judd? Okay, we're breaking a baseball football. game down like it's football. Um, have you guys looked at, at the 
not just American League, but the MLB fielding charts yet for the first uh, week or so? Just short of a, just shy of a week. The fielding season. charts. The fielding charts. Errors. No. Blah blah blah. There is one team in Major League Baseball right now that has zero errors. They play a target field. Not bad. Okay, it's pretty good. So uh, I, I was having a post game conversation with our guy Dan Hayes of the Athletic last night, and he was telling me, and this is the this is the seemingly I guess small stuff that the Twins do, but it's not small. Arise and Polanco, they both worked a lot on their first steps. They both said, your problem is is your first step is not the right step. It's not Football. the right. <laughs> and you know what? So far, they both lo- looked fine. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't I don't think Polanco, fielding-wise, was as big of a disaster as we thought. I think the presence of uh, Donaldson at third base is, is huge. I think the presence of Sano was a definitely, if you're a shortstop and you're not uh, you know, a gold glove shortstop, a detriment. But think about this. So they basically identified these two guys and, and said, yeah, you know, you're just not very good at fielding. You're okay. They said, again, just like with the pitching, Phil Mackey, we can fix it. And that's what I love about these guys. And, and that's why that's why I never buy, for the most part, what they tell us publicly. Because if you go back to last year, there was a, a lot of, Rocco, your fielding's not good, and Rocco yeah. would be like, "Yeah, you know, we're going. Yeah, well, yeah, we care, but right." <laughs> I, you there. There were times I came away from talking to Rocco, feeling like, "Does he really care about this?" Like I know he has to, but it seems like he doesn't. But what they say and what they do, what they say publicly, I should say, and what they do privately are so different. But think about that. So they took their shortstop, second baseman, and said, "Here's." Here's the deficiency in what you're doing. And we think, again, like with pitchers, we can fix this. Yeah. It's a little thing. No air so far, man. Little things yeah. that, that lead to big things. And and errors are, are one section of fielding measurement. Uh, the, the, like the big measurement in fielding is sort of an inexact science still. Sure. But they have something called, since I just, we're getting in the weeds here and this is oh, great. Yeah. All right. If this gets too weedsy, just slap me upside the head. No but, problem. But they have something <laughs> called defensive runs saved, which is basically a plus minus. It tells you how many runs did you save or allow compared to the average team or the average shortstop, however you want to break it down. So zero would be average. Last year, the Chicago Cubs were worth zero defensive runs saved. They weren't in the negative. They weren't in the positive. The Chicago Cubs were the average defensive team in all of baseball. Uh, the, the the Twins were right around there. The Twins were actually a plus six, but that ranked 18th in baseball. And I'll, I guarantee you, if we did a deeper dive into this, the only reason why they were a plus six is because Byron Buxton played 87 games in center field. <laughs> yeah. If you take Byron Buxton out of center field, they're definitely a minus defensive team last year. Ooh, so yeah. his influence is huge. Yep. But the difference between the Twins last year and the best defensive team in baseball, which was the Dodgers by this measurement, was 120 runs difference. 120 runs difference. For context, over the course of a season, a good offense will score like 800 to 850 runs. So imagine over the course of a season taking 120 runs off of your offensive total because you have crappy defense. Mm -hmm. That's basically what the Twins did last year. Mm -hmm. So all of this is sort of like if your offense is good enough to overcome it, you can still win 100-plus games like they did. So some of these deficiencies, like defense was a problem for the Twins last year, but they hit so many home runs, it just kind of made up for it. Oh, Polanco threw a ball away, but right. 
Well, Sano hit five bombs in the but you know, Arise series, so it in, didn't matter. In g- game one against the Yankees, Arise, who I think had a bad uh, leg or ankle in that game, but the ball he didn't get to in shallow right field was a problem. Like, that's the type of play that I think they rightfully so looked at and said, that play has to be made. How do we get him to a place? Because that kid, I will say this, Luis Arise, for his age, you talk about a damn tutorial at the plate. Yeah. It's and, yeah. And and here here's the thing that I think is so impressive right now. Luis Arise has no question been adjusted to by pitching. Like there's been time for him to be adjusted to. Like he comes up, okay, he's good. Yeah. And then th- there is clearly going to be an adjustment made to him and then it's his turn to make the adjustment and back and forth we go and that's what makes sports fun. But you guys, his at-bats right now are equally as impressive. And for a guy this age to have this approach consistently and to be as emboldened as he is at the plate to know w- what he's doing yeah. is remarkable is remarkable considering his at bat total is still not huge. No, and 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 he's he's kind of a relic of old school baseball cuz yeah. like baseball right now if you don't hit for launch angle and you don't hit for power, you're kind of overlooked as a player and you're deemed expendable cuz like well if you're not going to if you're not going to cater to the way that hitters alter their swings now to to hit thirty or forty home runs or be a fly ball guy, then you're you just you're, you're kind of worthless, right? But I think baseball needs guys like Luis Arise. I don't think one through nine, everyone in the lineup can and should be swinging for five hundred foot home runs. Josh Donaldson, yes. Nelson Cruz, absolutely. Even Byron Buxton, like, go ahead, hit for launch angle and go hit two fifty with twenty home runs and steal some bases and play defense. But there's still like Luis Arise. There, there were more guys like him, not to this, not guys who hit 330. But there, there were more guys like him that were just looking to make contact, put the ball in play, hit the ball to the outfield, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And I'm, I'm glad that he is keeping that Tony Gwynn style he's of offense alive. Slapping the ball the opposite way. I mean, yeah. he's just so much fun to, to watch. And, and I love at, at the plate still. If there's a close pitch, he will shake his head no. Not to tell the umpire it's not a strike, tell but himself. to be like to be like Don't that's not that. a strike. Don't yep, exactly right. Spit on that pitch. Just spit on that pitch. He Dude. his approach at the plate, if you just blindly watched an arise at bat and I ask you to say, How old is this guy and how long has he been around? I think you would say ten years and he's probably about thirty two. Yeah, he, he I agree. He looks like he's in his mid thirties and like he's he has probably seen a million pitches in the major leagues in his life. And uh, I don't know, it's been a long time since I've seen a hitter be able to wait as long as he does for a pitch to come into the zone to make a decision. Like, he's got some crew to him. Oh, yeah. Like, I'll flat out yeah. tell you, he's got some crew to him. I mean, Miguel Sano has that big, long, slow swing. And so he has to sort of, as the ball is coming out of the pitcher's hand, he's sort of committed. And that's why you watch Miguel Sano and, like, once the once the semi-truck starts going downhill, he right. can't check his swing. <laughs> and so he has a lot of check swing strikes. Luis Arise waits until the ball is like at the dirt to make his decision, yes. and then he can check his swing quickly. It's such a compact swing. Yes. So he's been super fun to watch. Um, Football. Boy. I've got one more. Yeah, fire away. One more, and then we'll get to a scoop with Doogie here. Okay. My last one is this, and this is this is a direct parallel baseball as football, and it has nothing to do with the Twins. It has to do with, with the uh, Cardinals. I have covered several Vikings games through the years and ordinarily this is Phil I would say December-ish or so but I mean remember it's a 60 game sprint here in a time of pandemic the Dolphins did this a few years back um, you see this 
And the Vikings have done this before themselves. That is the when can we go home game. It doesn't mean a team plays terribly. It just means they're incredibly checked out and distant, right? The same the Cardinals, and this is not this is not saying the Twins did not deserve what they got. The Twins played well, okay? So this is no judgment of the Twins, and in fact, it's nothing that the Twins could control. But I pick that up that the Cardinals were like pandemic, 60 games, pain in the ass. And and again, I will give the Twins credit because the Twins have a bunch of veteran, hard-ass craftsmen who I think just like baseball. Yes. I feel like the Cardinals have a lot of guys who are like, you know, 2021 sounds really good. Yeah. Like Harrison Bader. He's more interested in how his curly hair flow looks than he is Great hair, though. studying Didn't it feel like Rich that watching Hills. them, though, you guys? No. I did not get that vibe at all. For the Cardinals? I, I'm, no. more, I'm more with Declan, like, and I'll, real quick, and then Declan, I want your explanation sure. of this. I watched those two games and thought less. Oh, the Cardinals are kind of checked out and thought, no, the Twins put them in a sleeper hold yeah. in every facet, and the Twins are just better. But that's then you I go saw. away. But th- but that's my point, is then the team's like, ah, okay, bye. Even even their starting pitcher, last uh, De Leon or whatever the hell his name was. Ponce De Leon. He was electric, but he was also getting taxed for 20 to 30 pitches each inning. And, and yes, yes in a way, he pitched well. He struck out eight over like three and two thirds, but the Twins made him work, and their offense had n- could get nothing off Rich Hill and the Twins bullpen. I didn't really look at it; they're checked out. I think it was a dominating Twins win. What you just brought up, I think we should dive into the pitch count thing because I think that's what I saw too. That this dude allowed one run in the first inning, and it was like, holy crap! I just threw thirty pitches, and it felt like an eight inning outing in one inning. Yeah. And it was almost like you could see on his face and you could see on the faces of the Cardinals that, boy, if it was that much work for us to hold them to one run <laughs> but, in the first inning, what's going to happen? It was almost like they were dejected knowing that their right. team was inferior yeah. to the Twins. But, that's the vibe but I But that's my point is is when teams start to check out, that's how it works. But that's, that's You're credit not to the Twins. Good. Oh, right. No, that's, what I, that's my whole point. I'm saying I'm not taking anything away from the Twins. But when a team is good and you're okay – and yeah, you know, the sixty game season. That's where you start to be like, okay, let's let's go home. Yeah. Ponce de Leon. Did you guys it's Ponce de Leon, right? Yeah, yeah Ponce de Leon. Daniel That's Ponce it. de Leon. He he looks as you're as you're watching on TV from the center field camera, it looks like if Colin Kaepernick with the Afro five years ago was a starting pitcher. Yeah. Same hair from the back, same physique, like skinny. Um I couldn't he, get over how many frequent fastballs a starting pitcher can throw like that. I mean, they showed his they showed his splits and it's like literally 68% fastballs and then everything else is three other breaking balls with like 8%, 7%, 6%. You see that in a reliever? I was shocked a guy like a starter can do that. Yeah, he I think he's he's got some arm talent, but for sure. Boy, he that umpire struggled last night oh, too. Oh, that was bad. Oh, those Jerry Meals. That yeah, was, that that's, was an that aggressively was a... poorly umped Ooh. game. Cruz, at, Cruz yeah. at one point he he got called out on strikes and turned around and 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 here's the best part though about an empty ballpark. He oh, screamed yeah. and you could hear it in the press box. Yeah. Like, what? What? Yeah, yeah, it was it was bad. That pitch was and they showed like the pitch tracker and stuff. And you can tell when when like Joe Maurer was like that, Nelson Cruz, those guys say what you want about you know, Maurer's career eroding at the end or whatever. But, like, when you get to that point in your career and you've been a great hitter, yep. you know when a ball is six inches off the plate. Oh, hell yeah. And that's like Nelson Cruz had that look of exasperation. Like, dude, I, I don't know what to like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not swinging at that pitch because you have the inability. Like, you can't figure out where it is. Like, that's a ball. So Yeah, that was anyways, not a good call. That's breaking a baseball game. How about that? 
like it is a football game here on Mackie and Judd. And we will catch up with our friend Darren Doogie Wolfson for a scoop session after a quick thank you to Federated Mutual Insurance Company. So Federated, uh, in addition to helping us here and, uh, and partnering with us on Mackie and Judd and Purple Daily at Score North, they are also a proud supporter of Minnesota United Soccer. And uh, Minnesota United has advanced to the round of eight in this MLS is back tournament. So uh, we're rooting, rooting They beat for Columbus, them. man. Best team that was possibly the, in MLS. That was the team, yeah. Yep. So uh, we'll see if they can go deeper and further. All of those games are here on Score North, presented in part by Federated Insurance. And Federated's been around for over 100 years, helping business owners. This is uh, these last four months. Uh, if you're a business owner and you feel any sort of trepidation about your insurance or your protection, or if you just want trusted resources during this pandemic, federatedinsurance.com is a great place to find information and to find your local representative. At Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. Woo! All right, Mackie and Judd, our friend Darren Doogie Wolfson from Five Eyewitness News. You can find him on KSTP.com and on TV and also as part of the Scoop podcast he hosts once a week if you want inside information about local sports teams. And Doogie, uh, I actually would love to start if you have any more additional information about the Timberwolves sale that's upcoming here. If you have any more information about groups or Kevin Garnett, let's empty the, the Timberwolves and Glenn Taylor sale bag. Absolutely. Well, first off, I'm disappointed because I can see your pretty faces that I don't have like a Zach Morris-esque phone, right? Like I'm on my, I'm on my relatively you know fancy iPhone here as I'm trying to do the StreamYard chat with you, but for some reason my microphone is all left up. So I'm looking at you guys, but I'm talking to you via via the iPhone. I'm just upset that I don't have an old school phone. On the Wolves, my understanding, Phil, is there is all sorts of interest. In fact, I had heard that there was an NFL limited partner of an East Coast team. I had heard possibly the Pittsburgh Steelers, but I don't have that 100% confirmed. But that this individual, his group had interest in moving the Wolves. Now, Pittsburgh would make logical sense, right? New arena where the Penguins play. Pittsburgh is a relatively big market. You could argue that Pittsburgh is deserving of an NBA franchise, but that Glenn shot down those talks instantly. Glenn is very much interested in having somebody or group keep the Wolves here in Minnesota. Glenn is concerned about his long-term legacy. You know, Glenn saved the Wolves, you know, back in 94. He wants to ensure that the Wolves are here for the foreseeable future. So he's engaging. The rain group is engaging with, with a number of people. I still wouldn't necessarily, it's something we talked about last week, I wouldn't necessarily discount the Wilfs in this equation. There's nothing percolating right now on that front, but I'm just saying as long as there was initial dialogue, those that know the Wilfs well enough, Phil, tell me to, to not completely dismiss the possibility of them entering back into the picture. Makes sense. So um, the the lease now at the building is through 2036, correct? With, with the re- renovation that Target Center 35, underwent? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for a number of years. And, and then I saw a Star Tribune report came out, I believe it was yesterday, that to break that lease, it would cost $50 million, which a lot of people are like, oh, wow, wow, they're not gonna, going to move. I would argue, you're right. don't be so you're sure. Going. If you're, if you're uh, Seattle or Pittsburgh and you want a team, you're, you're not going to force the new ownership group to pay that you're going to help so i it might help a bit dukes that that there is a pretty high price tag on breaking that lease but i certainly if i was a wolves fan would not say that that is going to stop the team from ever leaving town if attendance for instance does not pick up at some point you're absolutely right 50 million dollars in the grand scheme of things when the wolves will net well over one 
billion dollars. In fact, I had somebody suggest to me that's in the know that Glenn Taylor can potentially get, and it's not Glenn himself, it's him and his partners, but up to $1.5 billion when you think about it, Judd. $50 million is nothing. It was nothing to Clay Bennett to get the Seattle Sonics to Oklahoma City. It might have been a little less than that for him to get out of Seattle. It might have been in the $40 million range. But really, relatively speaking, that is nothing. That's where Glenn, you know, we joke about Glenn. Remember, he had to look Andrew Wiggins in the eyes, right? And he gave Wiggins that long-term extension, the big money max extension. You know, that Glenn wants to have some heart-to-heart conversations to ensure that that whatever group he ends up selling to, and I think it's when, not if, I'll continue to say that, I think this is going to happen, that it feels as real as ever. You know, Glenn's gone down this path any number of times, but this time my sense is from talking to Glenn and others that, that it is going to happen, I think, before next season starts, that Glenn wants to ensure that whoever he ends up selling to ends up keeping the team here long term. Doogie, what does Michael Pierce opting out of the 2020 NFL season mean for the Vikings? Well, so far, Phil, they have not reached out on a number of free agent defensive tackles. Now, maybe they eventually will. Maybe they want to wait until, you know, these these COVID tests, you know, get all the way through to ensure that, that you know, guys maybe, you know, test negative initially, but then maybe test positive. Who knows if they need to fill some other position spots. They won't even be on the field here for like another 10 days. But so far, checking on a number of guys like the Mike Daniels of the world, the Timmy Jer- Jernigans of the world, uh, Pecco, who's got a history with Zimmer from, from their days together in Cincinnati. The Vikings have not inquired about any of those guys. So right now the sense is the Vikings will fill that spot internally. But I would say that it's fluid. As far as the salary cap goes, they'll save about $2.7 million. So in total, the Vikings have in the neighborhood of about $10 million of salary cap space right now to play with. He is high risk. I talked to Michael Pierce. It's on my latest podcast. I talked to Michael the other day. You know, he's high risk. You know, I mean, He's got a daily inhaler. You know, he deals with asthma on a daily basis. He's had pneumonia in the past. I mean, he's considered high risk. So he'll get that $350,000 stipend. The belief is that that will apply to the salary cap, but his base salary for 2020 is $3 million. Mm-hmm. The Vikings will get the savings, the difference of that. So $3 million minus $350,000. So roughly $2.7 million. So the Vikings in total have about $10 million of cap space. So if they want to do something, Phil, they can, but right now there is no sense that they're up to anything, including Everson Griffin. We've talked about Everson going back months, right? And I've always said never say never because of scenarios like this. But right now, you could change with one phone call, right? One new offer. But right now, there's nothing hopping on the Everson Griffin front. On Dalvin, did he uh, show up for the start of camp? One, because it makes perfect sense to and not lose the accrued year. But Dukes, did he show up for training camp uh, because he uh, thinks it's a good faith move to get a new contract? Or has he sort of accepted with how weird uh, 2020 is going to be if they play that his fate uh, is sealed in the sense that he's just going to have to play out this last year of his contract to get to become an unrestricted free agent, possibly in March? Yeah, more the latter, Judd. And and heck, I mean, do we even know, like, two weeks from now, are they able to get on the practice field? Does no, Dalvin even think. end up practicing? Does Dalvin maybe opt out of practicing with, who knows, maybe some sort of phantom injury? There are many different ways to, to attack the situation. But frankly, Jed, you're right, right? To get credit for the year, he had to show up on Tuesday for that initial COVID testing. So, like, it was idiotic not to show up. Him and his agent are well aware of the situation. So, of course, he was always going to show up. To me, the bigger question is when they hit the practice field, if they hit the practice field in approximately 10 to 14 days, is he on the practice field? I would say 
that's a fluid situation. Two thoughts. One is is if he's there and tells them he won't practice, to me, he probably goes into violation of his contract. But my second thought is, is this. Well, what if it's an injury, though, Judd? Well, right. But wait, wait. I believe he, he has till August 4th to opt out. And guys can opt out. Uh, he, he would not be a high-risk guy, but he could say, I'm not going to play. And here's my question. If he does that, does he get the accrued season, uh, become unrestricted in March, and basically holds a, a very convenient pseudo-holdout based on the fact that the COVID-19 pandemic opens up that opportunity? I don't think he is going to completely opt out of the season because of COVID-19. So I'll just lay that out there. My understanding, Judd, and I'd be lying if I told you I've got deep on, on every single intricacy of, of what's been agreed to. So I'm not even quite sure, correct me if I'm wrong, that everything is signed, sealed, and delivered, NFL, PA, and the NFL when it comes to the COVID-19 situation. I had heard that as of late last night that everything maybe wasn't completely finalized. But I will tell you, on Dalvin, I just don't see him opting out. But if he did, just talking to Michael Pierce. Michael Pierce made it sound to me, and he's done his homework with his agent, with others, that it just rolls over. That, that Dalvin, if he did that, Judd, would not then be an unrestricted free agent come March. Yeah. Uh, Doogie, uh, last last thing here, and well, I guess part one and part two. What do you know about Tom Thibodeau and, and, and him jumping into this Knicks head coaching job? I'm actually kind of shocked that another team has given him a chance to be the head guy, I thought he'd have to maybe go the assistant route for a while. But what do you know about that, and what are some other scoops left in your bag? I'm surprised too, Phil, but it was the perfect storm, right? Leon Rose is his guy. I'm not quite sure a year and a half ago I would have guessed that Leon, with that cushy gig, you know, just a power broker in terms of, of you know his power as an agent with Creative Arts Agency, I wasn't quite sure that Leon would ever make a move like this, especially to run the lonely Knicks, but Leon takes on the endeavor, and that's his guy, right? So, like, I don't think anything else is hiring Tom Thibodeau. I really don't. You know, there was some buzz going back months, maybe the Rockets, if they made a change with Dan Tony, you know, Daryl Morey go that direction. So I never I never saw that happening. So this was the perfect storm. Good for him. I texted with him the other day. You know, he's, he's got the right situation where I don't think he should ever have personnel control again and he's got the right guy that he can lean on a guy that knows his personality his tendencies that can actually you know offer some resistance like scott later never offered any resistance here town needs somebody that can tell him no from time to time you know disagree with him create some healthy dialogue leon rose is that guy so you know good for him i know many people have reached out to him ryan saunders has reached out to him a lot of people in the league are happy for him he's a grinder like nobody could ever deny that man's work ethic is second to none. If you're the Knicks and you're looking to get back to the playoffs, heck, I think Tom Thibodeau can find a way that roster still needs yeah. a lot of work. But the man can coach. He can coach a winner. You know, whether he can he can evolve and, and, and deal with, with these massive egos and personalities, that remains to be seen. He failed in many ways here with that. But you know what? Good for him. I know the man knows basketball and he can, he can coach a winner. So, you know, I, put it this way, Phil, he's not a bad guy, especially in the offseason. Like, you you would enjoy sitting down having lunch with him today or having a glass of wine with him. Like, he's not a bad guy. I've seen him around his family, you know, after some Wolves games. The way, the way he embraced his nephews. Like, there's something there. He's got a heart. We never saw it. Yeah. I think he's got some teddy bear to him. We grinched it, too. Saw it. <laughs> but I don't think he is a bad guy or anything like that. So, he's down. 
I'm happy for him, but I am shocked at a five-year deal. I yeah. cannot believe in this day and age of everything going on that the Knicks gave him a five-year deal. I would have guessed yeah. it would have been a three-year deal. And Dukes, we're starting to lose reception here, so we're gonna we're gonna say goodbye. And uh, if anyone wants scoops outside of what we just talked about, the Scoop Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Scornorth.com, and also KSTP.com as well. So Dukes, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Okay, sounds good, Phil. See you, All right, see see you next week. That's uh, Darren Doogie Wolfson, our buddy from 5 Eyewitness News. Within the Dodgers organization, there's a feeling of, look, he didn't hit Bregman. He actually, in their eyes, didn't even come close to hitting him. And they felt like Dusty Baker was screaming at uh, Kelly in that inning from the Houston dugout. They were absolutely surprised by the length of the suspension, especially because Kelly is a reliever. Now, I think from Major League Baseball's perspective, Rob Manfred said during the wintertime in so many words that he was not going to allow open season to be on the Houston Astros. Back in 2017, when all the sign-sealing stuff happened, I think we can look back and criticize Rob Manfred for not uh, drawing a line in the sand and trying to alter the behavior with one big penalty at that time against the Red Sox or the Yankees. Well, in this case, it seems that's what he's trying to do alter the behavior, and stop teams from throwing at the Houston Astros. Buster only from ESPN. So so Joe Kelly, this mm-hmm. thing happens a couple nights ago, and I'm sure everyone has seen the highlight by now. If you haven't, actually, if you want a great breakdown of this, there's a three-minute breakdown by John Boy. Yeah, he's great. John, Boy's the, John Boy has a YouTube channel, and our friend Trevor Plouffe actually does a baseball podcast called Talking Baseball with John Boy. John Boy is the guy, uh, the, the internet baseball digital content creator guy that – helped break open the Astros cheating scandal by going back and like you know finding the audio on the trash can bangs yeah, he did a bangs. full deep dive <laughs> and so he does these fun little breakdowns of like things that happen on the baseball field and he actually raised the volume so you could hear some of the things that were being said between Joe Kelly and the Astros so an 8 game suspension in a 60 game season is the equivalent of a 22 game suspension in a normal season Astros players by the way in case y'all forgot were not punished at all for electronic sign-stealing, being arrogant about it, brash about it, and winning a World Series because of it. Of course, today the Athletic reports that uh, Rob Manfred can now suspend players going forward without pay or service time for electronic sign-stealing per new rules agreed to. So, so, So now you can suspend players. And and now Rob Manfred's going to lay the hammer down on pitchers who throw at Astros hitters for retribution, but those Astros hitters still have not faced any punishment at all whatsoever. Welcome to baseball. Your thoughts. Welcome to baseball 2020. Great job, Rob. Great, fantastic job you have done. You have just really, really made this sport a fun place. Um, all right. So you could have taken a three-year-old child. After this all came out last year, to talk to Rob and said, and Rob could could have said to said three year old child, "What do you think is going to happen here when I don't suspend the Astros players?" And the three year old would say, "A pitcher's going to throw at them and probably behind their bleeping head." Okay, um, the fact the fact that again, baseball, what makes Manfred so horse bleep, and and Bettman was guilty. He's not guilty now, okay, but he's been guilty of this too. What makes him so terrible at his job? Is is he is supposed to? Rob is supposed to be ahead of situations, right? Ahead, thinking ahead. How? What is the impact? And at every turn, he's behind. So now he suspends Kelly for, as you said, Phil, the equivalent of twenty-two games 
for something that we all knew was going to happen at some point in time. And and I think the Astros and Bregman and Correa and that group should thank their lucky stars for uh, the COVID because if we don't have the COVID and we start on March 26th, I think it's much worse. They're having to play in front of more fans in different stadiums. This is just another sign. This, This isn't about one thing. This is about where baseball is to today, which sort of, if you think about it, mirrors our country. Um, as far as what the hell are you doing? Like you're supposed to be in charge, man, and you have no clue. And now you're and now you're suspending Kelly. And I am not applauding throwing at people's heads. Okay, I'm not saying that that's the right thing. But we all knew the day that Robs and don't forget his whole stance was, well, the players helped us uncover the cheating when we gave them immunity to not suspend them. What the hell type of plan is that? And and the last thing, and we talked about this back in the day as well, was Manfred should have looked at those players and said, I'm suspending you for you, for your safety. I don't want you thrown at because you're going to be. And you know what? You probably deserve to be in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, but this is all about you know the Manfred regime being a step or two behind where you're supposed to be. You know, the NBA, what's the NBA really, for the most part, pretty damn good at? Anticipating things and making rulings before we get there because they're smart people. Yeah, honestly, screw Rob Manfred. <laughs> screw yeah, him. I'm yeah, with you. I am out on Rob Manfred. I always thought when, when our old buddy Rami went on Rob Manfred rants, I, I thoroughly enjoyed them. But I always thought <laughs> his angst over Rob Manfred, I always thought, like, I don't know. He's not that bad of a commissioner, is he? Yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of dry and he's... Not the most creative guy, but not a total disaster. No, he is a total disaster of a commissioner. Everything from the way that the players union and and the owners argued back and forth during a pandemic in which the largest percentage of our country was unemployed for the last hundred years. And these guys are arguing publicly over a $10 billion chunk of pie to not have a better way to bring two parties together. That's disaster number one. Um, actually, it was disaster number two because the first disaster was allowing this cheating scandal to take place, not doing anything about it. At Major League Baseball knew for three years about the Astros and other teams using high-def video and trash cans to tip pitches to hitters, and they did nothing. Yep. They sent a memo. They did nothing. Yeah. And and furthermore, the Astros arrogantly flaunted this cheating system while winning a World Series. Like That press conference that Alex Bregman held after a walk-off home run or whatever it was in which he's asked, you know, what did you... Uh, What'd you see on that pitch? And he sits back with that cocky, smug God. grin, and he goes, "I don't know. Uh, I don't know what I was looking for there. Maybe that pitch. Like, yeah. Maybe I knew. Screw it was, you, dude. Maybe I knew it was coming. Maybe I knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't want to see anyone's life end or career end. Like, I don't want. I don't really. I'm not rooting for a 100 mile an hour rock to be thrown at someone's head and make contact with it. All right, but mm-hmm. honestly. The Astros should feel uncomfortable in 2020. The Astros should tap dance in the batter's box. They should be chided. I wish there were fans in the stadium so they could get booed every time they come to the plate. They should feel uncomfortable throughout the entire 2020 shortened season. And when fans come back in 2021, Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa, all these clowns should be booed in every road stadium. So while I am not endorsing throwing baseballs at hitters' heads, I do not at all feel bad for what happened to those Astros a couple nights ago. Joe Kelly, honestly, like 
bravo for standing up well, and the to Bregman, something that Rob Manfred would not stand up for. And the Bregman for. pitch went behind his head by quite a bit, okay? Like like to insinuate that that thing was for sure going to hit Bregman's head. He, I don't. I think he just sort of moved. And the Correa, so the Correa pitch, the Correa pitch was a breaking ball. It was a breaking ball. And the one thing that I will say um, in regards to what Correa did is he, my my line in the same. If I was the commissioner, I would have told those guys, "You're going to get thrown at," and I hope you don't get th- thrown at in the head. And if you do, I will address that. But if you get hit by a pitch, I don't want you to say a word. Like the Correa thing that drove me crazy, and yeah. you, you got no right to talk. When Joe Kelly hits you and MFs you and basically calls you the B word and all that, in my opinion, if you're Correa, you sit there and you take it. And if I'm the and if I was, and thank God I'm not the commissioner, I would have told him, if I see Bregman talk or Correa talk, I'm suspending you for five games. Yeah, like you have no right to say anything in your defense and and shut up and take mm-hmm. it. And the one the one thing that I would say, and the one thing that Manfred could have done, like like let's twist this thing because it's already screwed up, right? The one thing that you could have easily done after that game is say Joe Kelly gets five games, okay? Because it was dangerous. Let's say um, I would have suspended Bregman and Correa and anybody else who I perceive to come off that bench because this is a pandemic, and I'm not going to tolerate bench clearing brawls. And if I'm not mistaken, it was the Astros who reacted, right? Yes. So the second I would have told Houston, if I see anybody take a step out of a dugout to engage in on-the-field debate and or fisticuffs, you're getting five to ten games. A piece. Yeah, I... I shut up. I agree. Like, I, I just think this is all to be expected. And for Rob Manfred to come down with an eight-game suspension for a reliever... And still have done nothing to those Astros hitters. Like, this is going to continue. And I hope, honestly, I hope it does. Two other things off what you're saying and two other things that are worth mentioning here. Number one, a lot of this friction between the Dodgers and the Astros, well, obviously it starts from the 2017 World Series where the Dodgers feel like they were robbed of a championship, right? And and Kelly was in Boston back then, correct? He was, yeah, he was with Boston in 2017 and 18. Okay. I think, um, but he did not pitch for the Dodgers in 2017. Gotcha. And you remember this offseason, Dodgers first baseman Cody Bellinger referred to Jose Altuve's 2017 American League MVP award as having been stolen from Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge had a ridiculous year in 2017 for the Yankees, and Jose Altuve, who was... Now, the, what the Astros are saying is, and this is where Carlos Correa needs to pipe down, Carlos Correa does a video responding to Cody Bellinger a few months back saying, get the facts right or shut the bleep up. Jose Altuve was not as much of a part of the sign-stealing thing <laughs> as other players. Like, screw you, dude. Yeah. Not to mention, let's say Jose Altuve comes to bat and there's three guys on base, all who cheated their way on Absolutely. first, second, third base. And he drives in three runs. Yes. That helps his MVP case. And it helps <laughs> him get better pitches. So screw you. Yes. And then Dusty Baker is hired. <laughs> to clean all this up, like Dusty Baker, the Astros, this analytically, electronically driven franchise, and Dusty Baker, this old codger who ran Mark Pryor's arm into the ground and all kinds of other pitchers. Mm-hmm. And Dusty Baker comes in and like, all right, we're going to hire him. We're going to bring in this sort of wise old sage manager, and he's going to clean up this clubhouse and make sure that everything's on the straight and narrow. And he says yesterday, I didn't anticipate that, Joe Kelly throwing at the hitters. That's playing dirty baseball. 
Screw you too. Yeah, but that's it. But but how can Manfred? This is this is all to this point. How could Manfred? Manfred's mandate to the Astros has to be: I don't want to hear from you ever again about this. Shut up. Take any anything you get. If I hear you talk, I'm finding you a hundred thousand dollars. And if you take action on the field, you're all gone for ten games. And I don't care. Yes. Like like Manfred, he's. He's probably book smart, but he's such an idiot when it comes to the decisions that need to be made with common sense that he can't even navigate through this. Like if they had if they had taken Joe Kelly and suspended him, seriously, five games. All right. But let's say they they also say and the Astros initiated leaving the dugout. So they're all getting five games, 10 games. I don't care what we'd all be like. Oh, cool. Okay, you know, Joe Kelly, that's not that's too bad, but that's cool. But instead, this idiot gives Joe Kelly eight games and does nothing to... And, and the Astros, meanwhile, continue to talk. And, Phil, to your point, screw you. Shut up and take what you get because you cheated and you got caught. Yes. And and it's just maddening now. The, the worst thing, and this is true in baseball now especially, true elsewhere as well, but I'll just say baseball for now. Uh, the worst thing is to know that an idiot's going to handle things the wrong way and just wait to see how idiotic it's handled. <laughs> Do you think Rob Manfred's still the commissioner one year from now? Yes, because I think he's there for one reason, a long work stoppage in 21. I, I think this is all based on one thing, the owner's greed of wanting to break the player's union as much as possible i this has nothing they need a uniter they don't need like rob manfred has become a divider commissioner right but he is divide but in i think in the majority of the owner's minds he's dividing the right people which is they want to divide from the players and they want to try and break the players like we think about this you know phil judd declan good of the game right good of the game what's best for this game that we all love and what makes this game what can we do to help this game those people are thinking about one thing, the bottom line, and how can we screw the players as much as possible? Because, damn it, for far too long, we've been fair. And I really think, you guys, I really think they look at football, and they're like, they screw the players at every turn, and we barely screw the players. So, yes, I think I think Rob Manfred is in this for the long haul based not on the sport and the love of the sport. Yeah. I think based on what he can do financially to make the owners more money. Well, I'm here Sorry. to watch the Astros tap dance <laughs> in the batter's box, and I don't, I don't want anyone to take a fastball to the temple, but I want them to get dirt on the uniforms. And I don't say that. Like, I am – you know me. Like, I am the – I think the, the, one of the dumbest things is, like, when someone pimps a home run – and then the next time up, like someone's got to pay for my ego being shattered. Like this goes beyond ego being shattered by a home run or or, or walking out of the batter's box too slowly. I mean, this is a team yeah, you're right. that is altering the game and cheating the game beyond like traditional sign stealing. So, um, but all of the baseball things we've talked about on this episode so far, we did 40 minutes on the <laughs> Twins win over the Cardinals last night. We just ranted about Rob Manfred and the Joe Kelly incident with the Astros. All of that was preliminary bouts for the main event, which is breaking down football. Declan Goff's miracle softball comeback like a football game. So, Declan, the other night, you said the Hubbard softball team the other night trailed by eight runs. Going into the bottom of the last inning. Yes. After blowing a one run, we had to lead the whole game until the top half, and then they scored eight. Whoa! We are up the whole game. And then a movie script ending occurred. Yeah. It was, so, so, 
we 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 were mostly in control the whole game. Top of the seventh, we're always due for a, just a horrible defensive miscue inning. It happens every week. We just we just absolutely s the bed. Is it just like like people not being able to catch fly balls or yeah, something? Yeah, or, or just errant throws or ball through the legs. So no, it's a third base. Yeah, it just, just happens. Just Dude, some, third base sucks in softball. Yeah, I, I don't. The, Willingham's in left. First and third base are two positions in slow pitch softball. I'm like, nope, I will I will sit you, on the bench before I play those two positions. The, pro, the problem is Voluntarily. You, you can't trust whoever rakes the dirt. There's always bad yeah. hops, and I don't want to lose teeth. So. so the other team comes out, and they put up an eight spot in the top of the seventh. So now we're down... We're down seven runs going to the bottom half. We need to obviously, and, and it was going to be a tie because there was a game that had to happen right after us. So we were already already late on time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I am struggling at the plate as I do every season in slow pitch softball or real life baseball. I go up there. It's one out. I've oh for my last five. Wow. I've I've had like four lineouts to the pitchers. I popped up to short. I was frustrated beyond belief. So there's a guy at second. I come up. I rope him in. We score that first run. I actually, I roped a double over the shortstop's head. Nice. Got to second base. First pitch, Dex? Uh, second pitch, because I, I had a strike Bernie against me. Away. So, so, what was, so you started the rally. In a way, I started the rally, yeah. Okay. So when Which you got to second me. base, did you do like one of the, like the smell them or the... I did the, the T-plush, you know, remember, the, remember, remember yeah. Niger Morgan for Milwaukee? I totally oh, yeah. did. I was pumped. I was absolutely <laughs> juiced. Thumping the chest. I hope you yeah. got hit next time and, up. And I am the last person in the batting order, too. So I get, it is pretty obvious who is the weakest link in this uh, Hubbard <laughs> softball team. Okay. So I start the rally, get him home, and then we just literally rally off run by run. And the guy that I scored comes up to the plate. The bases are loaded. We need one run. How many outs? Two. Now there's two outs. So the game's tied. Game's tied. Okay. And Andrew actually works in sales right down at KS95. Hits just a little swinging bunt. Maybe went three feet in front of the plate. Mm-hmm. Pitcher was slow to her feet. Catcher didn't even realize what wow. the hell was going on. They throw down to first. Andrew's safe by a mile. Our run comes home. Why did the catcher just go pick up the ball I and step on home plate? No idea, dude. What's Zero. wrong with these Don't people? Don't look a gift horse <laughs> in the mouth, Phil Mackey. Yeah. <laughs> they caught a, a lucky break. Also, I would assume, so So, uh, who was their closer? Did it they... was the same pitcher the whole time. Oh. So, they so she went the distance. Wait, so they left their, star- so through an eight-run meltdown, they left the same pitcher in? Yeah. Who's... What is wrong with these people? I don't know, man. And it was, it, before the last inning, I think it was 6-5 to five going into the top of the seven. So it was relatively low scoring for slow pitch softball. Like, it wasn't, wasn't an onslaught, but... Yeah, then they finally put the bat. And this team that we played, I think they won the league last year. Like, wow. we usually, we got thumped by them last year. So going in, we were like, stealing. oh, they're this probably is stealing. Be. So, what's, the, what's uh, the mark now since, since Bernie got run off so this, as the manager? And, of your and team. Bernie was in the game for the first time in weeks. Oh, he was playing. He was playing. But he's been removed he's been as removed the manager, correct? Right? Yeah, he was. He was, he was, uh, he came, he came in the, he came into the game for the first time. He, he spelled at first base. He actually had a, an RBI in, in, in that last inning. He contributed into the rally. And, yeah, now we're, after starting 0-2, we have rallied three wins in a row, and wow. we're in second place. And you're playing, and, and more importantly, Declan Goff is playing a key role in the success. I couldn't believe it. I wow. literally could not believe that ball went over the shortstop set. It's amazing. So what have you developed a new strategy at the plate now, or what is your – are you launch angle? <laughs> Dude, it are is, you contact? It is so hard to not – want to like start cheating as the ball's coming so like I'm pro I think my issue is like I'm already starting my swing before the ball's getting there so now I'm like here instead of wait oh you're Sano right now yeah like I I am I'm I'm basically ready for the pitch but I I'm so eager to hit the dang things it's coming in so slow yeah that I usually pop it up or yeah I had three consecutive lineouts the pitcher the game before like three l1s in the scorebook 
and and then I finally Before. broke broke my broke my habit. There. Wow! But wow! What a, what a comeback! Yeah, Hubbard softball. Where to go, Jess? Look out! Jess is now a big success, right? As yeah, coach, Jess. yeah, yeah, like three and 4 and zero. Puts me at the bottom of the order. Put me on the who, bench the last two innings, and who, it worked out. Who is the star player on your team? Ooh, or like I, or like the two star players. So we have a, who mashes. I would say uh, our guy Eric, who used to work at KS ninety five Promotions, he no longer is with Hubbard, but he's still like on our team. To be honest, that's oh, a, so you guys are bringing that's a ringer. outside Hubbard people. That, that's a ringer. I'll be that's completely honest. Paul Molitor's batting fourth. Of like the, you're the Astros. Of like the fourteen players on this team, I think only like four of us work here. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm gonna report you guys. Here's the other thing: if you're gonna go outside the company to fortify your roster with ten extra people, I'd probably look for some more ringers. You know, if you're going to bring someone in from outside the company, who could you get? Who else could you get? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you, all of our good players do not work here, including myself. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I, I am not one of the better players. We, we, and there's been players, though, that either they were connected to some people that worked here and they just always remained on the team. Like, get Glenn Perkins to pitch a game for the Hubbard softball that'd team. That'd be great. That'd be great. I, I, we need Perk. Let's bring him in from the—he comes running in from the center field chain link fence. What yeah. was his song? Uh, Johnny, Cash. Johnny Cash, yeah, a song yeah. could be playing. Yeah. yeah, he's got a he's got a lift bridge in his hand on the mound. I can totally see it. <laughs> God Absolutely. bless him, man. All right, well, there it is. Breaking down Declan softball game, like it's a football game. Uh, action movie rewind tomorrow. Remind us and the listeners, Judd Zolgad, what action movie are we diving into tomorrow? Seagal. Yeah, Steven Seagal, nineteen ninety one, I believe. I told you out, out for, for justice. justice. Correct. Yes, yes. Steven Seagal. Lot of good, lot of good tight jeans. Steven Seagal. This is, I will say this: the film might not be great, but the pace of film is great. Perfect. You guys are going to love this. This is not a long watch because I'm not start. I can't start this until tonight, and the twins are on at six. Yeah, so I'm probably no. not starting this movie till like nine o'clock tonight. Hour, I think it's ninety one minutes, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Hour plus. That's Perfect. all it is. This is actually the most I've looked forward to a night of TV watching. Probably since the last season of The Bachelor, to be honest. But like Twins from six to nine, and the pitching action movie tonight. from nine to ten thirty. Barrios Bieber, Bieber and Barrios. That's going to be interesting. Bieber, Shane Bieber has become one of the top five or six starting pitchers in all the baseball. Yep. Like that is a pitching factory over there. So. Yes, sir. It'll be a fun night. We'll recap. We will break down another Twins game, like it is a football game tomorrow, and we'll do some action movie. We might rewind. be panicked tomorrow, by the way. Because Bieber's going to shut this lineup down. Yeah, it's a very, it's a possibility. And Brios didn't look good in on opening day in Chicago. I'm just saying, yeah, that, Bieber that might be panicked. Bieber is awesome, but this is the best lineup Bieber is going to face all year. Yeah, and that so. Cleveland uh, Bieber doesn't hit, hit hit any baseballs either. So that that Cleveland lineup can't really score any runs. So I'm not really worried about through that. their outfield. I saw, I believe, through they, they got uh, blanked by the White Sox for nothing yesterday. I believe the outfield I saw a status hitting something like a collective 150. Nice mm. job. Nice job. They got Cleveland, Cleveland Rocks. That outfield. There it is. Or, or they don't. All right, that's a wrap on this episode of Mackie and Jeb. We'll see you guys tomorrow.